John, I think our long national nightmare might be coming to an end. Carlos Correa has yet a third deal to be a baseball player in 2023 and moving forward. Yeah, it's kind of funny that after the exciting possibilities of going to the West Coast for a record $350 million or then going to New York and switching positions for $315 million, he just goes back to where he was. The incumbent team, the Minnesota Twins, end up with Carlos Correa. So I think that's a kind of a twist ending to a tale that's been full of turns and twists. Yeah, well, we'll cross our fingers, John, if it's actually the ending or not. We'll certainly cover every aspect of that. We'll talk to A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Detroit Tigers, about his Tigers, other subjects like Justin Verlander and Carlos Beltran, and, of course, what he thought about managing Carlos Correa. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, John, what we always hope for in all our various businesses, uh, in the newspaper, on television, and now on our podcast is that we have major news to discuss. And uh, there was major news on Tuesday, January 10th. For the third time this offseason, Carlos uh, Correa has an agreement with a team. Uh, In this case, it's a six-year, $200 million deal with the Twins that could get up to 10 years and about $270 million. And I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you know the odyssey. But just quickly, uh, a couple of weeks into December, Correa signs a, uh, not not signs, agrees for 13 years at $350 million with the Giants. Uh, The Giants go as far as to call a press conference on the day of what's supposed to be called, uh, supposed to be the press conference. It doesn't happen. And it's revealed that they had real concerns about uh, his physical, notably his lower right leg. He broke his fibula in 2014 when he was in the minor leagues. He has a plate in there. As you detailed first in the New York Post uh, that night uh, between the 20th and the 21st, while Steve Cohn's in Hawaii and uh, Scott Boris is still in San Francisco, they work out an agreement for 12 years at $315 million. Lo and behold, the Mets have the same concerns With the physical, we've been in limbo since until today when the twin deal gets done. John, that's a mouthful. It's a free agency like we've never seen before. Nobody has covered it as well as you have. Or if I just ask the big umbrella question to open, what stands out to you? (laughs) Well, the whole thing is very dramatic. Um, You know, I think it's interesting that they got the ankle okayed, I think, in advance on the twins' physical so he just has the rest of the physical to do as we're on this podcast. And presumably there's nothing wrong with the rest of them. 
And, uh, you know, you couldn't oh, only have 27 a, more teams to go in case uh, there you, is. Know, you couldn't really have a third full physical and failing. So they had to make sure that he was going to pass. And, you know, this was a team that had him. They know him. He was not out with any ankle concern for the season that he was there. And, uh, you know, maybe the Twins are willing to take a little bit more of a risk. They certainly could do a higher AAV. I mean, Steve Cohn does have some limits. Let's not forget that. There are some limits. The reason the Mets didn't want to do that $33, $34 million a year and wanted to spread it out is because of the tax situation. Uh, the Mets are in that 90% Steve Cohn tax. And if they gave him a $34 million deal or $33.4 million deal, his tax would have risen even more for the next six years. So they wanted to spread it out. And uh, eventually uh, they just weren't able to come to an agreement. The Mets wanted to mitigate the risk. Uh, They were the second team to raise a flag over this issue of the ankle. So you can't really blame them. I think they're upset right now. It's not a happy day in uh, Mets land. You know, it would have been fine if they never had come to this agreement, but they got the agreement for two and a half weeks. Uh, the thought was they'd probably be able to work it out. It's Steve Cohn there is one of the richest men in the country, but, uh, you know, even he has some limits and, you know, you really can't blame them. They're already at $360 million payroll, right? So it's the record payroll and, uh, the tax is going to be around close to $100 million. So can't blame him for being cheap. We can't claim that. But, uh, you know, I think at the end, there is some limit shown. Yeah, you know, John, why don't I follow your lead here? Uh, let's talk about the Mets a little bit. Again, uh, what stands out to me is your reporting that night, the night of the 21st in the New York Post. Uh, Steve Cohn talked about it, and he used the word need. Uh, this was what we needed. And I think it's because there, in a lot of ways, you could say the Mets held serve, right? They re-signed Diaz, Nimo, Adovino, you know, uh, they replace um, DeGrom, Bassett, Walker, Lugo with uh, Verlander, Senga, Quintana, and David Robertson. You want to say at the margins, you bring in Rayleigh is better than Jolie Rodriguez, uh, Navarez gives them a better overall catcher than McCann. Those are marginal. I think that the owner of the team was willing to go to a half a billion dollars in total expenditure between both payroll and tax because he felt they, in his words that you quoted him, needed this player as a kind of 162 game, better than Eduardo Escobar, both sides of the ball. But as importantly, he's been a great postseason player. I think he has 16 homers in like 79 games. I wonder what you think about that, John. Yeah, I mean, well, at the moment, he was very excited about the deal. When I, when I talked to him, it was in the wee hours where we are in New York. It was uh, 2 o'clock uh, a.m., a little bit, around 2.40. And so it was about 8.40 for him. And uh, he was very excited. And he said, we needed one more thing, and this is it. And, um, you know, this puts us over the top. Uh, I do like their other improvements. I know people aren't going to focus on that right now, but Verlander is more dependable than DeGrom. Senga is potentially a terrific talent. Uh, I think Quintana is consistent. I, Narvaez is going to give them more offense and uh, catcher. 
And uh, I agree with you on the bullpen. I like some of the pieces there. Rayleigh's going to be an improvement, certainly over Jolie Rodriguez. So, you know, they had a 101 team, and there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this team. But uh, this is a down day because uh, they thought they were adding a superstar player who's got a great uh, postseason uh, pedigree. Yeah, you know, this feels a little bit like that day with the the baseball Giants, right, is if, if you've never have them under your umbrella, so to speak, with this with the agreement, then it's not like there's a feeling of loss. In some ways, the Giants benefited by the Mets also uh, agreeing with him and having the same problems. And John, I think you were making this point, and I agree with you 100% on this. You know, if the Wilpons back out of this, we could talk about finances. But well, even backing out of this, he I, I think he literally projects right now to have a $444 million payroll for next year, the Mets. That, including the tax. Wait, wait, including the tax. All in. All in. It's like just under $450 million. And by the end of the year, we'll probably go over that. And he was willing to go to the $500 million-ish to, 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 to get this done. The Mets had to have real, real, real concerns about the leg because they badly wanted the player. And again, your reporting, I think they were willing to offer like 160 was it, to, to, to keep him? Yeah, 157.5. With some navigation points to kind of maybe get back towards the 315 at the end of the day. So I do think one of the things that stands on the Mets side is as disappointing as this day is, they were committed to try to do it. This isn't like the old days. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, Steve Cohn is committed to winning and doing almost everything that he can. And again, he didn't pull it at the end. He was still hoping to get the player, uh, you know, with Time ran out. He said they were getting close to the end. Uh, we should have a resolution one way or the other. I think both sides felt that way. But Steve Cohn said that publicly to Tyler Ward, the YouTuber. And uh, I think it made sense that somebody had to decide, was Correa going to take this deal for less money, uh, get less guaranteed money in New York, or go back to where he was comfortable? Um, I, You know, he the disappointment, part of the disappointment is it feels like he wanted to be in New York, even though he liked the Twin Cities. Very nice. He hits well. He plays short, plays shortstop there. Felt like he, he was okay with giving up shortstop. He was very good in third base in the WBC. Um, he could take a little bit tougher ballpark. He wanted to go to the team that won 101 games and has that close to $500 million expenditure. At least they would have with him. So I think he did want to go, but ultimately it's difficult to leave $42 million guaranteed on the table. I know Trey Turner did it. I know Judge probably left that much or more, but it uh, doesn't happen very often, particularly when you've already been cut from 350 to 315. You know, we're still going and going and going. How far down are you going to go? At some point, you got to, I, I understand it. And I don't know. I think the Mets may have been actually a little surprised that, uh, they didn't get them. Uh, but, you know, as Steve said, you know, we're nearing the end here, basically. It's going to be a resolution one way or the other, and it was the other. Yeah. Look, uh, I, I think one thing we could guarantee here now is the Mets are in it for the next thing. I, I guess there's ways there where they can't. Like Francisco Alvarez could, like, take off as the designated hitter as this kind of wild card, and they get the kind of offense from him they were hoping for Correa, and they don't need to do it. But the trade deadline, in case people don't know it, it moves from year to year now, now at the commissioner's discretion is 6 p.m. on August 1st. It feels like sometime between now and then, 
the Mets will do something. We, we, where do you think the Mets are right now, John? Do you think like they're now, okay, we weren't able to get the big piece. You're not going to find that between now and the beginning of the regular season. Let's see if we could, some of the finer points at the, at the margins, like maybe Trey Correa, get some pitching depth. Uh, or, uh, not Correa, uh, Carlos Carrasco, two CCs beginning with Carlos. I'm sorry, John, that was a good catch. Good editing job there, John, in case the writing gig doesn't work out. Uh, but uh, yeah, like where 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 do you think they spin now the Mets? Well, they could do that. I think they could still improve the bullpen. You know, it's at the margins at this point. There are some good relievers chafing or left. I mean, nothing's going to be like getting Correa. You know, he's. I know some people are saying, oh, he's not a superstar. Well, you know, look at his postseason record. Look at the defense, the all-around play. He was a five-war player last year, seven-war the year before. Um, it's a it's a major disappointment, and they're not going to be able to make that up this offseason. Um, that said, you know, Steve Cohn is uh, bound and determined to make this team as good as possible. And you're right, at the trade deadline, they could certainly improve there. But I'm of the belief that they had a 101-win team. I think they're improved. I'd rather have Verlander than DeGrom. I'd rather have uh, Senga than Taiwan Walker. You know, I think they've done I think they've done well. I think the, and their deals were pretty reasonable compared to some of the some of the crazy deals we saw out there. I think they did a pretty good job with the deals, you know, and they have a record payroll at 360 million or so. They should be happy, but it's going to be a, it's going to take a day or two to get over this, I do think. Yeah, it's hard to imagine to have a $360 million payroll and still not have everything, right? Uh, it's a reminder that there's no such thing as a perfect team. Let's talk about the Twins a little bit, John. You talked about the fact that there was some pre-physical work done here. He obviously played with them last year. Our belief is he'll pass this physical, right? And you know my favorite thing to talk about is the NBA. And I think of this a little bit like when I asked some friends of mine who know the league well, why did the Timberwolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves, give up so much to get Rudy Gobert? They said, well, no free agent would come here, right? No free agents come to Minnesota. We have to do our free agency through trades. And it feels a little bit like, you know, you mentioned it. Correa didn't hate Minnesota, but he clearly was looking for coastal superpower, it seems, all things being equal. He wants to play on the big stage. He wants to play in the postseason. And it feels like Minnesota maybe was willing to bend and close their eyes, maybe even on a physical more than any, any other team, because who else would go there? Like they need this kind of break to get it. What do you think of that? And where do you think this leaves them in the AL Central? Are they big contenders because they have Correa? They weren't last year. Yeah, I mean, they, I think they're willing to take a little bit more of a risk. At least they were in this case. I mean, certainly they had more room in the payroll. They weren't going to go over the luxury tax or certainly the fourth tier Steve Cohn luxury tax. So they had more room. Uh, you know, they took a chance with Buxton. They love Buxton, but, you know, he's a risk, an injury risk. We know that without even giving him a physical, right? Because he's actually been out a lot. So, you know, they're a team that's willing to absorb some risk. I think you're probably right. It's easier to get teams now to New York. I mean, players to New York. It felt like this offseason, a lot of the players wanted to go to New York. You know, obviously Bogarts left Boston and went to San Diego, but for a huge payday, $280 million, you know, it used to be a time when people loved going to California, but uh, it seemed like a lot of players preferred New York, not just Judge, but several others. I think Correa, uh, sorry, um, Rondon. We we're all, we got Correa on our mind. Rondon uh, with the Yankees did too. That's uh, an advantage that the New York teams have. That said, uh, Cohen has certainly spent a ton of money and is going to expect a lot this year. 
John, I'm wondering as a way to kind of wrap this up a little bit, the other party we kind of like didn't specifically talk about to some degree is Correa himself. Uh, you were mentioning what a terrific player is, especially in the postseason. He's a two-way player. Do you think at all there's some burden on him now as far as, hey, can you prove that this was all nonsense, uh, that, that, that he is going to be a healthy player? It's now going to be part of his legacy one way or the other. He's at a pivot point. If he stays healthy the rest of the way, you can imagine, again, we'll see how things turn out for Carlos Beltran and see how people treat people, uh, players who were involved with the 2017 Astros. But he's a Hall of Fame consideration kind of midway through his career. Is he going to have a back end of his career? It's one of the fascinating questions over the next five to 10 years. Were the teams that backed away from him right to back away from him? Or are the Twins the team that's right? He's a good gamble. Who is Carlos Correa and what's it mean to his legacy? Yeah, the injury situation is interesting because uh, like we've known, he hasn't missed any days with the ankle injury since the 2014 uh, incident and surgery they had in the minor leagues. He hasn't received any treatment that we know about. And yet he was flagged by two teams. And certainly the second team wanted to guarantee half the money that they had originally um, offered. And so they must have seen something, but it seems to be all a projection. It's funny that Scott Boris, uh, the agent for Correa, was able to work it out with J.D. Drew and J.D. Martinez and Magli Ordonez and Pudge Rodriguez with other teams and uh, get the language that was agreeable, agreeable to both sides. Here they were not able to do it. They were not even really that close to getting the agreeable language that both sides would sign off on, whereas in those other four cases, now those were shorter deals, but none of those players ever got those injuries that there were concerns about. Uh, Pudge was a back, Maglio a knee, uh, foot for J.D. Martinez. I don't remember what J.D. Drew was. I think it was might have been a shoulder, but, you know, in those cases, they worked it out. In the two cases of the Boston players, they both won the World Series. In Boston, in Detroit cases, they both got to the World Series. Maglio and Pudge did rebuilt that team and it worked out. But of course, this is a longer deal. It's a different situation. We don't know exactly what's on that MRI. And even if we did, we wouldn't be able to interpret it. Two different teams did say there is something going on here that they were concerned about in the future, down the road. I kept hearing down the road. So it's probably not in those first six years because it seems like both teams were willing to go big for the first six years, particularly the Twins. Yeah, the uh, manager that Correa has played the most for in his career is A.J. Hinch, and he's joining us next, John. I just want to point out to our terrific listeners, we, we did tape this with A.J. Hinch this morning, Tuesday morning, when we when this was still a limbo situation. So if you hear to us, us talk about it vaguely and not know which way when we're talking with A.J. Hinch, it's because of that. But nevertheless, if you stick with the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, A.J. Hinch was really informative on Carlos Correa, Carlos Beltran's Hall of Fame candidacy, Justin Verlander, and more. Stick with us on the show. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. 
Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, John and I are thrilled to uh, welcome A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Detroit Tigers, with us on the show. And A.J., I promise you, we are going to talk about the Detroit Tigers. I promise it. I vow. We are going to talk about it. But you just have a lot of ex-players in the news. No one more so right now than Carlos Correa, who was the championship shortstop with you in Houston and one of your better players who at the moment we are talking, and we always want to try to make this evergreen on a podcast, is an in-limbo player. You managed him for a long time. Your Tigers were very interested in signing him last year. I believe, you don't have to confirm this, that you offered him about a 10-year deal. Do you, the question with him is about his physicality, is is about his ability, his durability. Do you believe that this player can play physically healthy for a long period of time? Uh, well, nice to nice to see you guys, and also kickstart this with the hardest question that you want me to answer. We can't There's talk no about softballs so. on the show. There's no, no we're, we're going to go harder than that. That that's a warm up. The um, you know, I mean, obviously he's a great player and and a great person, and and I've got a long history with him. I have no idea what um the, his medical file looks like but I and, I and I'm following the news like you guys are I mean I've, I've been in touch with them just through the holidays saying Merry Christmas and things like that but I um great family guy he can play in any in any market we we had him in our division last year when he was in Minnesota um and you know I joked with him that he could have picked any division in the league and been fine but he had to pick our division um you always root for guys your ex-players you become close with them um, you know, and, I, and it's funny, I've been in a lot of jobs in this industry and I, I've had, um, doctors and, and, and GMs and managers. We all think we're kind of experts on these medical processes. And, and I've had some that say, Hey, this guy's not going to last very long. And he's had, you know, going on to a hall of fame career. I've also had others that have been crystal clear that their, that their medical file is perfect. And they've been on the injury list for the next, you know, foreseeable future. So, uh, it's a moving target. Ever smarter people than me are going through it. Uh, but I, I love having Carlos, and and he's going to have a great career. You know, AJ, you said something about Correa that really struck me. You said you love to manage him. Um, you know, there's been some thought that there are teams who don't want him for personality reasons. Maybe they don't think about sincerity. Uh, I've heard people say there's some comparison to Alex Rodriguez as a as a as a person. What what do you by the way, Alex Rodriguez? You put we gotta point out you played major league baseball. You were on a national team with Alex Rodriguez probably a couple of decades ago that represented the US. But what do you think about Carlos Correa, the person fitting it into a clubhouse, being a leader and being a good guy to manage? Yeah, so I you know, I look at players um through a couple of different lenses and you and you start to see why players are are good at what they do and why they're prepared and 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 why they're the little small details that they pay attention to. How do they take care of their body? What's their nutrition like? Um, what is their 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 mindset? What how their baseball IQ? You know, and they're and when you find the players that that kind of pass the test in in all of those categories, 
you start to realize like why these guys can stand up in the pressure or why they can be big time performers or why can they, um, you know, why can they perform in the postseason or what there there's, there's reasons behind all of that. And it starts with preparation. And I think as players, players are getting to the league, such a young age, they have to develop those processes in the big leagues more so today than ever before. And when, when they figure it out, it kind of clicks for them. And, and Carlos is one of them. Uh, obviously, other players that I had in Houston, I'm watching Miguel Cabrera in the, in, the, in the last year of his career. You know, this season, I'm seeing why, um, why different players are, are good at their craft. And it's how they prepare and how they take care of themselves. And I trust those players that are going to be good for a long time when you, when you, when you pass those tests. We will get to the Tigers, I promise, but I'm going to ask you about the next Tiger right now, who you managed in Houston, and that's Justin Verlander. You know, I mean, obviously we know he's an all-time great at this point. I mean, you had to be a little amazed at last year, 175 ERA, the best in baseball at age 39. And what do you see going forward for him? He's got a two-year deal and he wants to play. I think he wants to pitch into his mid-40s. I don't know. He thinks he's Tom Brady, and maybe he is. I don't want to doubt him. Yeah, I think he looks at Nolan Ryan more than maybe even Tom Brady. But, I, you know, Justin, um, I got to know him when we traded for him when I was in Houston and then, you know, went through a couple of years with him. He won the Cy Young um, in 2019, a great battle out with with Garrett Cole. Um, and then, you know, the Tommy John surgery, I think all of us, I don't say we wrote him off, but we kind of made, oh, man, that's that's sort of the pinnacle. That's when his career starts to change. And he defied those odds by coming back and being elite after Tommy John at his age. So I, again, the, the, the previous answer about preparing and, and the mindset and his, his game day routine is as intense as any player that I've been around. Now I haven't been around him since 19, but I, I saw him last year in Detroit. We didn't face him when they, when they came through uh, our place, but I, I can see him, you know, how he meticulously goes through his game plan, every pitch for with a purpose. Um, he trains, he trains well, he practices hard. Um, his bullpens, I'm sure, have eased off a little bit since since the you know, 2019 season, but he doesn't do anything without a purpose and he doesn't do anything without a plan. And you combine that with talent and the talent that he's been able to maintain at his age and and you see the com- the compete button get pushed every time. And that's why he um, he's not going to be phased by expectations or living up to, you know, a contract at his age. Like he's so far past that anxiety, he is solely focused on, on the competition. And, and you can see that from afar when I'm not managing him. When I did manage him, um, it's pretty intense on how he, how he gets after the opponent. AJ, uh, I'm going to, I think, complete the holy trinity of Astro player questions. And uh, it, it's obviously a tougher question because it involved the 2017 Astros and Carlos Beltran being up for the Hall of Fame. Verlander was on the team. He was a pitcher. He didn't get the advantages. We know he's going to waltz into the Hall of Fame. We don't know about Carlos Beltran because of his ties to 2017. You paid a big price for it, obviously, with a suspension and a dismissal from the Astros and been come back as a one of the top managers in the sport. What do you think about Beltran's Hall of Fame? How much should that be held against them? What happened with you guys in 17? Yeah, I think, you know, and I've spoken out on this a lot in that I will always apologize, you know, for um, for that situation. We did. We were wrong. We we continue to be wrong. There's no way to justify um, anything that, um, you know, any rule that we broke and crossing the line competitively. And quite honestly, we're 
we're all going to continue to pay the price as we go around and it's, it's tagged along with us um, as it should be. It's part of our legacy. It's part of our, um, you know, our, our actions and, 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 and inactions. What, what I can tell you is that we, we always are, are striving to remember that part and then showcase the best version of ourselves moving forward. You know, a few of us that are still in the game have continued to get the opportunity to hopefully shed a light on who we are and what we can do positively in the sport and how we can impact the sport while continually to show contrition um, for 2017. I think Carlos had a, had a, had a Hall of Fame career. I played with him when, when we were at the Royals together. He was one of the most dynamic players for a really long time. Um, and, and obviously, I'm super supportive of Carlos, the man, uh, the family man, what I saw him grow into, how he built his family. Um, you know, and he's been relatively quiet about it all. I saw him a little bit last year in New York when he was helping with the Yes Network, doing the media. I hope he gets back in the game and stays in the game, stays connected. He's got a wealth of knowledge to help so many people throughout the game. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and he didn't get a chance to manage, you know, when he, when he had the job in New York with the Mets. So, um, I'm not a writer. I don't have, I don't have a vote. Um, I know his career was super dynamic and I know at the end, there's going to be a lot of questions. It's for you guys to sort out, but, um, you know, I think Carlos had a, had a terrific career and, 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 and obviously deserves the consideration that he's getting for, for the biggest award. Since we're on this subject, uh, you're very apologetic about your time there, conciliatory. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, to me, at least the way I saw it, you were kind of fighting against it. And even at one point, uh, I think, broke a camera or something. You were you were fighting against it, yet you paid a big price. Uh, I mean, I kind of think I'm glad you bounced back with with a job right away. I thought it would be with the White Sox, but it was with the Tigers. But uh and you, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong and you feel like you really deserve to pay that price. But I personally thought you got a raw deal um, from the Astros. No, I, I appreciate the respect, John. I just I was the manager. I was in a position to, to have a stronger hand and a stronger voice and should have done better. I mean, I'm going to continue to say that for the rest of my career when anybody brings up 2017 because I believe it. And I was in a position to 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 be an authority figure and to and to step up and. And I feel like I failed that. I failed the game. I failed a lot of family, friends, teammates, uh, that club. I was the manager. And, and, and I'm obviously responsible for everything that happens, you know, under my watch. So uh, I appreciate the notion, but, but absolutely will never feel like anyone was more responsible than me. Well, uh, just, just to close the book on this, I mean, I wonder what you think about legacy since the Astros haven't stopped winning since then, including a championship last year, obviously Dusty Baker, the manager now, I wonder, does it do anything to say, would you have won in 17? Who knows? Like, it's uh, you know, we can't re-legislate that, but it isn't like we took the air out of the Astros and the Astros stopped being a good team. I, do you think it helps everybody's legacy that I think it's now six, is it six division titles in a row or something like that? It's all six ALCS in a row. Two championships, including the last one. What does it do to everyone's legacy who was tied to that team? Well, I think two things can happen at the same time. I mean, one, um, you know, it it was wrong. It was continues to be wrong, and 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 we, you know, will always have this question around 2017. I also think you can say these guys are really good players. There's a really good system there. It's a, it's a, it was built, you know, brilliantly. Um, the additions after the fact have been really good. There's been a long run of success uh, of winning in that organization. And, and, 
and rightfully so with the talent that is in that organization on the field, off the field, all around that club. So I think both things can happen at the same time. I don't think we can just simply turn our back away from what, you know, what we did in 2017. But I also think you can't turn away and say these guys are not talented or not good players or not have not continued their success because the, the wins are there, the performance in the postseason's there. They have another World Series title. So uh, very complicated era. But at the end of the day, the, the talent, I think, is speaking for itself. Well, let's get to the Tigers now. In 2021, I thought you really overachieved even at that time. And now looks even more like you overachieved. Probably set people up for expect big expectations last year. And you had so many pitching injuries last year. And offensively, frankly, the team didn't perform or basically almost all the players kind of underperformed expectations there. Where do you think the Tigers stand now? Are you potentially a contender in a year or two? Or what's your timetable right now with the Tigers? Well, I mean, first off, I think, you you know, we, we did play well or better in, in 2021, uh, which is my first year there. Last season, whatever could go wrong did go wrong. And now we're, we're going through, you know, substantial change throughout the whole organization, um, really from the top down all the way through my coaching staff to a lot of different players. Uh, you know, to refresh what we you know, the, the, the chance of bringing better times to Detroit. It's a great city, great fan base. Um, they started to come alive a little bit throughout, you know, the, the, the 2021 season. Um, getting out of COVID was, was really important in, in, in that area. We come through and, and, and get the 500 homers for Miggy, get the 3,000 hit run for Miggy last season. Uh, but that was about the only thing that we were particularly proud of, you know, with the exception, maybe our young talent got some experience to build from last season. So now um, I have a new boss. We have a new structure, half of my new coaching staff. We made so many changes uh, to where things need to feel differently before they're going to be different on, you know, on the field. And, and we expect to win as many games as we possibly can. I, I didn't sign up to, to aim for a season that's in the future. I want to win now, and we, we feel like we can can make steps towards that, particularly with our young talent getting to the big leagues and earmarking some at-bats for them while we're getting healthy on the mound. We need Mize and Scooble to come back. Uh, we obviously made some additions on the pitching staff to stabilize some things. Scott Harris has made some trades to supplement that offense um, that, that you know, we, we weren't very good last year. So there's some things that need to go our way but on the field, as the manager, I can't sit here and aim towards contending any other situation than today. Like, we need to win the day's game. We need to win a series. We need to win some months. I mean, I've said this for a couple of years. I think this team will resonate with that. And then at the end of the year, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll tally up the wins and see where we're at. But I don't want to lose. And I don't want to aim for next season or the season after that or the season after that. Uh, that mindset has to be established on our club and our clubhouse. And then we'll let the results be what they are. AJ, uh, just to loop a little back is you guys did try to get Correa last offseason. When you didn't, you signed Javier Baez to a six-year, $140 million contract as kind of a tentpole player, right? Like this is a guy where the veteran, as our young players are coming up, and aside from a strong September, it wasn't a very good season for Baez last year, really on either side of the ball. And we always think of him as such an exceptional defender. Do you still believe in this player? And if so, why? Yeah, no, I believe in Javi and, and, and as does our organization because of, of the talent that he has, you know, is, is, is really spectacular. Like the, um, 
you know, the numbers won't lie on what, you know, what he struggled with last year on defense with the throwing and what, um, you know, the, the April and May was really a, a, a tough start for him. He had to climb out of such a bad hole that he was in, had a thumb injury early, didn't perform all that well, then started to come out of it as the weather warmed up. And as we got into September, he finished pretty strong. So, um, but the player's dynamic, he can do a lot of different things. His, we talk about that baseball timing, baseball acumen, baseball IQ. It's off the charts good. Um, we've got to get him in inside the strike zone. We also got to get him focused inside the game a little bit for that to flourish. He knows that. We've talked about it. Uh, I've had a chance to sit down with him this winter and and kind of just just decompress from you know what was a really tough year for him to get him kickstarted for next season. The WBC is gonna is gonna start his season a little bit earlier. Um, than than in in previous years, um, that will probably enhance his readiness to to be timed up to start the season off a little bit better. But um, he's a dynamic player, and and certainly any given day you come to the field and you watch Javi Baez, and you guys watched him a little bit in New York when he when he was with the Mets. It's he has a chance to impact the game and do something that you may never have seen before on the field. Our job as coaches is going to be to extract that out of him more consistently than ever before. You know, Baez was actually great as a Met. Uh, other than that one incident with the uh, thumbs down, everything was great. That seemed to overshadow it for whatever reason, but he showed incredible talent. So I, I kind of with you, I believe in him as well. But to really give the Tigers fans some hope, I think you need to have some of these young players become cornerstone players. You know, speaking of Torkelson and my Scooble, maybe somebody else you can name, who, who in particular stands out as somebody who I think you believe will be a at least a cornerstone player, if not a franchise player for the Tigers? Yeah, no, I think Riley Green is is got you know every skill set on the field. He's also got the personality, kind of the vibe around him uh, to be an influential part of a team. You know, I you know I, I think when when you when you're around these guys, you know, almost you know, what is it, 15, 18 hours a day, and you're, and, you're, and you're going into all these different games, these experiences, you're on planes, you're on buses with these guys, you get a sense of who's impactful kind of in around your club. And the more we're, we play the game like Riley Green, the better we're going to be. He's a, he's a very dynamic player in center field. We lost him last year at the very end of spring training. He was going to be told that he's going to be on the major league team. And and he fouls a ball off his foot off of Garrett Cole and then hits a triple off the center field wall, gets the third, starts kind of messing with his foot a little bit, comes off the field after he scores and, and tells me his foot's filling up, his shoe's filling up a little bit, ended up breaking his, his foot, and, and he was out for the first few months. It's a very delicate injury to rehab. Um, but the, the impact on that club last year was like we lost – like our middle of the order bat, our tenure veteran guy, our presence, our, our sort of personality. And that's when it struck me last season what this kid can really grow into be. He doesn't need to be that right now. We've got to surround him with other players that can, can, can help him grow and mature at this level. But, but I saw firsthand a team get, get a little demoralized over the loss of a rookie. Like that doesn't happen in our sport, you know, as much as, as people would imagine. So um, Spencer Torkelson, we need him to come back from, um, you know, from his first year of learning and, and the up-down season that he had, first overall pick. The talent's real. The offensive profile can be super uh, impactful, you know, but it wasn't a, a 
steady climb of success that went straight up. He has to, he had to deal with a little bit of adversity probably for the first time in his, in his short career. So um, those two are, are certainly cornerstone type players that I think we can, we can nurture, we can grow, we can, we can see those guys being in the middle of our, um, of everything that we're doing, you know, with our, with our club. I do think you bring up Mize and Scooble. Uh, we get Spencer Turnbull back. We sign Michael Lorenzen. We get Matt Boyd. Uh, we sign him back, and he, he'd been a longtime Tiger. Um, a lot of our team is going to be stabilized by the volume of pitching that we can throw at you night in and night out. Last year, we had 17 starting pitchers. I don't care what team you are or how good you are. That's not a recipe that you want to repeat. So uh, the healthier that we can keep that rotation – Eduardo Rodriguez hopefully has a full season this year. We get Austin Meadows back. Um, who knows what's possible, but I know I know how we're going to play. Um, you know, from a from a preparation standpoint and from a style standpoint. You mentioned uh, how you're going to play. I, I mean this sincerely. There's few people whose baseball brain I'd rather pick on something like new rules than yours, AJ. Uh, you're always so insightful on this kind of stuff. And I, as a way to make, wrap up here. We could go rule by rule and we'll be here for the rest of Miguel Cabrera's career. Uh, it's not. Uh, so I wonder if I just said, I'm sure you've put this all into your brain, into your lab. What among the new rules sticks out for you? Why? And what are you doing about it as the Detroit Tigers? Well, I think the two things that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by, um, I mean, kind of, they're kind of intertwined is the, the pitch clock is going to be well, – we're going to be able to adjust the pitch clock. Every minor league player has been able to do it. The major league players will be able to do it. I think the, the position players on the hitting side are going to have a little bit of a longer adjustment just because, I mean, if you go back – and we're probably take you back too far, like the Nomar Garcia-Para, like batting gloves thing, the David Ortiz sticking out and kind of letting the moment build up. The uh, There's just – I mean, I can go through so many different players that have these little – nuances at the plate that are allowed and it's actually part of the theater that no longer is going to be allowed I think that's going to be a little bit adjustment but they'll adjust like the players once they there'll be a couple confrontations in spring training maybe it bleeds into the season the players will, will be fine the the disengagement rule on the pickoffs I think is going to be a, something that we're going to need to adjust we're going to have a zoom with with major league baseball and have our coaches all get up to speed with what exactly that means on how many times you're stepping off or like you get how many times have you seen the catcher give signs even with the with the uh the new technology and all of a sudden have to step off and reset step off and reset like that with a runner on base that natural instinct to stop play is going to be a little bit dangerous when it comes to like if a fast runner's at first and i mess up the signs and i step off like how does that impact the at bat on how many balls i can throw over to first base to stop a you know, a, a fast runner, Miles Straw in Cleveland, you know, we know he's going soon. And if I waste one of those step-offs with having to reset the the signs, I, it's just going to, it's going to create a little bit of chaos. The, the other part of that, of the rules that come up is the shift is going to be very interesting. And I, I know it's a spirited debate on, is it going to really make much of a difference? We are, we are going to, to have to figure out where to position that second baseman, you know, do we play him in the hole? Do we play him sort of how the game was, was, was taught to us where the two guys are equidistant they are, you know, in the middle of the infield and you had the corner infielders. I think that's going to play a little bit more into 
um, where we position that guy with a runner on first. The first baseman is at first base, and I got a pull hitter. Am I going to put him in the four hole or am I going to expose the double play? Where I, if the ball is hit to shortstop, I no longer can cover second. Or am I going to put him at traditional second base and 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 leave that gaping hole in the in the the three four hole open for the left-handed pull hitter? Um, those little things are going to have to be sorted out. You know, and I, I think back to the last time I was a manager when we weren't shifting was like my first year in 2009. We were a little bit. I guess slower in Arizona where it wasn't quite mainstream to move everybody all over the place. You know, I, I can't remember the last game I managed that didn't have that overshift to offset that advantage of having a runner on base or, or the, the extreme pole ground ball hitter or putting the, the second baseman in deep in short right field. That to me is going to be fun, I guess, to, to sort out how to keep them on the dirt, but put them in where, in a position where, the most ground balls are hit and not concede the double play on the pull left-handed hitter. Yeah, you know, AJ, uh, I think you just talked about why we're about to enter perhaps the most fascinating spring training, certainly of our careers, our lifetimes, because there's going to be a lot of learning that needs to be done. And a lot of players aren't going to be in spring training for a lot of the learning. They're going to be off doing the WBC, as you mentioned, Baez on your team. I think half the Met team is going, a third of the Yankee team. So, I do think we're about to do that, which means when we circle through Lakeland, we're probably going to have a lot of conversations with you, AJ Hinge, that extend from today. So John and I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show. Best of luck in spring training and in the 2023. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys covering the sport. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. John, uh, AJ Hinch didn't have the advantage that we have right now. We know Carlos Correa has uh, reached an agreement with the Twins. Nevertheless, uh, AJ was fascinating about Carlos Correa, Carlos Beltran, Justin Verlander, some of the stuff that's changing in the game, his own Tigers. What stuck out to you about the interview? Yeah, I mean, great guest, as we expected. Good get by you. Uh, we enjoyed talking to AJ Hinch. Uh, he talked all about all those players, including Correa, which was very interesting. But to me, the most interesting thing was uh, – when I asked him about 2017 and said, uh, suggested to him that he got a raw deal in 2017 because he really wasn't on board with all that garbage banging and all that other garbage stuff. And he said, no, that he should take the hit and he takes full responsibility and he'll live with that for the rest of his life. And, you know, I thought that was a, a terrific answer. And uh, that's just the kind of guy that he is. 
Yeah, maybe Trevor Bauer should go to the School of Accountability and use that as a highlight uh, reel for how to handle his situation. I'll say this, John, even with him not knowing about Correa, you know, Correa is part of the 2017 team. Also, they're staying on him for that. There's now concern about his physicality. But the manager who managed the most and knew him best, there's always concerns about Correa, the person, if he's sincere, things like that. And this manager clearly loved having Correa. He thought he was all baseball, gym rat, prepared, uh, thoughtful, good teammate. And I do think that the twins who knew him also are willing to go back with him. So I think it says something about Carlos Correa. Yeah, and the Astros did make an offer. I believe it was 160 over five at that time. We pooed it because we figured he was getting 300, and he, he almost did twice or a couple few times. Um, yeah, I don't find Correa to be insincere. I do think he's a very, very hard worker. He's very uh, more than enthusiastic. He's ebullient. I can remember the first day in uh, spring training with the Twins. He was so excited to be there, and nobody figured that he was going to end up there on a short-term deal. Did he hug you? I think he, he hugged hug me. Yeah, well, we're, you know, how that, you You're know. Tight. You're tight. Yeah. You're tight with all the suits. Yes, well, you know, we're very similar. Yep. Well, John, uh, you know, we appreciate everyone joining us on the show, which is a podcast from the New York Post. Who knows, next Tuesday we might be talking about another failed physical. Like, you know, kid, the saga never ends. I, I have a feeling this one's going to be okay for Correa. But, you know, you should stick with us every Tuesday on Wednesday the Yes app. We drop on that about noon each uh, Wednesday. The show cannot be done. It's been taped a couple of times today, and that's just through the diligence uh, and excellence of our colleagues, Jake Brown and Andrew Hart, who have helped navigate us through this. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to join us every Tuesday to talk baseball on the show with Joel Sherman and John Haney.